Cast. Hello everyone, my name is Earl Breon, and you are listening to the Burden of Command podcast. I'm a former active duty United States Marine with over 25 years of coaching and mentoring experience across the military, civilian, federal service, and private sectors. I'm a lifelong learning enthusiast when it comes to leadership, and this podcast is just an extension of that pursuit. My goal with each episode will be to bring you great content from leaders across all spectrums of the word leadership. Leadership is a complicated venture. You are dealing with complex people, on complex teams, in complex organizations, in complex situations. You have to know how to interact with each one of these elements in the appropriate way, at the appropriate time, in order to achieve success. Lead your team well and it's a glorious thing fail in any one aspect and it will be disastrous. This, dear listener, is the Burden of Command. Hello, listeners. Today, I've got a great leader for you on the Burden of Command podcast. Her name is Judy Hoberman. She's the author of the Walking on the Glass Floor book, which launched last year. And every Monday uh, at 1 p.m., She does Selling in the Skirt Radio on the Women for Women Network, and I'll have some links to those products uh, in the show notes for this so you can uh, read Judy's work and follow her on her radio show. But Judy, thank you for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, well, like I said, uh, uh, when we were talking just before getting on here, I've I've got a really good lineup for my first few episodes. I'm glad you're part of it. Um, And to get rolling, I'm going to ask you the first question I'm going to ask all of my guests. When you hear the term burden of command, what does that mean to you? Well, to me, you know, I have a couple of different thoughts on it, but it to me it means like what kind of leader are you? Like really what kind of leader are you? And I believe that a burden of command is it sounds more of the it takes like a negative connotation. It's almost like you have to do this and you have to do it right. And I say that for me the burden of command is really more of a privilege as you know as somebody that is going to be a leader for others for people to be influenced by and to be influenced from i believe it's also about respect and honor and trust so even though when i first heard the term i thought ooh i'm not sure if i like that term or not but then i really thought about it and it really is more of a privilege that's what i'm thinking for me anyway well no and i love that answer and what i love about it is uh you know, it's one of the things that uh, everybody always asks the the eternal question. I'm sure you've been asked it plenty of times is, what's the difference between management and leadership? Mm-hmm. And for me, that's it is, is I call leadership a gifted privilege. You know, anybody up the food chain can make you a manager. Being a leader is something that is gifted to you from the people who choose to follow you. Right. And, and, right. and I like the way you put that. Now, um. So now your work, I know it's not exclusively, but I really like the angle you take on uh, leadership, especially when it comes to gender issues. And while you seem to sell a little bit more to women leaders, all of your stuff is very much applicable to male leaders as well, right? It is. You know, for me, because I'm female, it's much easier for me to talk about being a female leader. I can talk about what qualities I would look for in a man, but I can't talk from a male perspective. However, I have to I have to emphasize this a lot that in many industries, 
there are no women or maybe there's one woman and I came from that. And so I always make sure that people understand that I also look for men that champion women, the men that will step up and say, you know, I'm going to help you with an opportunity or I'm going to show you the ropes or whatever, not do it for you, but be there for you. I'll mentor you. So yes, while I do focus on women, I also focus on the men that champion women. So, you know, it, it's almost like women and not either or. Well, and I like that because that's so critical because as you mentioned, there are so many industries, there are so many industries where women are underrepresented. There, there are a few, very few, where women are uh, the majority, but for the most part, women are underrepresented. And what you said about championing and, and sponsoring, I think that is that is critical. It's one of the things that uh, I run into a lot and, and I know on a couple of the things that you've been on, you've, you've dealt with the Me Too movement and men being hesitant to sponsor women because of the fear of, you know, catching an accusation or something. So could you talk about that for a minute? Yeah, you know, one of the things that we always talk about Me Too, but we're not, we didn't come around because of Me Too. We were in, you know, we, we were doing uh, leadership training way before Me Too. Now, for me, I believe that Me Too gave a place for women to feel safe to express things that they're uncomfortable with or things that had happened to them. And I think it's a great thing, a great idea, a great place. However, there was some um, unexpected consequences from it. And it's exactly what you just said. There's a lot of men that no longer want to mentor women. And there's a lot of men that are afraid of false accusations, or there are men that actually have done the wrong thing and now they're going to get caught. So you have this whole other piece of it. And so when people say to me, well, tell me about the Me Too movement and how do you get around that? It's not really getting around it. I always encourage men and I actually encourage women the same thing. You don't need to meet in a closed office. You don't have to meet, you know, someplace where it's so quiet and away from everybody that there is just the, the, the fear of being um, accused of doing something wrong. If you're going to mentor someone, mentor it in your office, mentor it in the, you know, in the lobby, mentor it someplace where it's open. Um, you don't have to talk about anything other than business. So there's, there's different ways to counteract some of the unexpected consequences, but there are men that are very nervous about this, and I, and I understand it, but I also suggest that they at least understand that they're going to be taking away a big piece of, of uh, leadership training for women. Because, again, if there are no women, you have to look for men. So if there are no men any longer that want to help, then, then what happens? It sets everybody back. Yeah, and that's exactly. And, you know, the truth is statistics have shown these are statistics on a subject that is already vastly underreported mm-hmm. but the statistics that are there show that it is very unlikely that a case is going to be false accusations women are very hesitant to come forth because of the negative ramifications that even a slam dunk sexual assault sexual harassment claim can mean to their career so the chances of you catching a false accusation are pretty slim, right? Uh, you, you know, you can't tell what's what's true or false, you know, just by the by the surface. I mean, there has to be some kind of reason why there is this accusation. And and what if you are accusing somebody of doing something and it really was nothing more than um, a comment that they thought was not inappropriate? You know, you just don't know. And so, and I understand that there are these 
situations that people don't want to get involved in. But again, you know, that's, that's one piece of the puzzle. The rest of the puzzle is we need to work together. We need to work in um, an environment of trust, an environment of respect for both. Women have to respect men. Men have to respect women. It goes both ways. It's the same thing when I say men need to champion women. Women need to champion women. So there's there's all different pieces of this crazy puzzle that we're talking about. Yeah, no, 100%. And, and where I was going with that is, is uh, you know, kind of where you went is uh, the, the key to that. And this is my opinion. Feel free to, uh, you know, tell me where we differ or, or maybe you agree too, is your character, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the better your character is, the more people know who you are. That's your better safeguard against those accusations than not mentoring women, not sponsoring women. Exactly. Yeah, 100%. Exactly. So with that, uh, as a quality, if you will, let's talk about the, the seven qualities that, that you talk about. So those qualities, uh, for our listeners, we'll go through them one by one. Judy says uh, passion authenticity, courage, communication, decisiveness, resilience, and generosity. So how did you land on those seven? Well, it was very interesting. You know, like you said, I I have a radio show and every week I do a monologue. And when we went back over the last four years of my show, if you took all the monologues that we talked about, all the different themes that we brought out, they were all about leadership, or 90% were about leadership. And so then we went and we, we made it even smaller. We tried to figure out like what were the, the common themes? What were people really talking about? And it turned out it was these seven qualities. And when we asked people, you know, what are some of the qualities that you think are uh, leadership qualities? These seven came out. And then we asked them, what are some of the qualities that you think people should use as leadership qualities, but they may not even know their leadership qualities? these came out. So it kept it kept popping up. And these are qualities that men and women have. The unfortunate part is a lot of times women, and I'll use myself, you know, as an example, we don't always know that these things are powerful qualities of leadership. But then when you go and you actually talk about it, you realize, oh, yeah, I'm authentic. I you know I, this is how I show up every day or or I'm courageous. I've done this and this and this. And so they are qualities. And the people that you are leading and sometimes you're leading just yourself, but the people that you're leading, they look to see what it is you're going to do next. And when you talk about these qualities, these are things that will they're more of the, the people skills, the softer skills, than they are of the technical skills. And so people have to learn how to work with people, how to react with people, how to, you know, work side by side. So that's where these came up. And, and here's what I'll tell everybody listening, how I know that that is true. Well, what Judy just said is 100% true. So uh, probably no, uh, no surprise to the listeners at this point. I'm a former active duty United States Marine. And, and one of the things that they teach us in leadership, they call it the 14 leadership traits, and they have an acronym, JJ Did Tie Buckle. Well, two of the qualities that Judy identifies here are word for word, courage and decisiveness. That's the a C and a D in JJ Did Tie Buckle. The other 12, it's, it's essentially like she just reworded them a little bit to, to get to her seven. They're identical in content. And for you to have landed on that kind of independently, 
and for the Marine Corps to have uh, used very similar traits, well, you know, there's got to be something that that screams <laughs> special about that, right? Yeah, um, and and of course, you know, I'm married to a retired Air Force Colonel, so yeah, I, I love this conversation. <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, let, let's talk about these because I really want to hear it from from your perspective, uh, with your depth of knowledge and your experience. So, passion. Why is passion uh, such an important quality? Well, you know as well as I do, there's a lot of people that go to work every day, and they go to work, and they do what they're supposed to do, and then they come home. And there's absolutely nothing else there. It's just they're going, they're supporting their family, and they're coming back. And I have nothing, I, I mean, I totally understand that, been there, done that. You know, but the point of the matter is, if you're passionate about what you do, it, so many other things will happen. You know, you'll be more excited. They'll be, you'll be more productive. They'll be more about being creative, innovative, and you know, there's that old saying that if you, you know, if you do something that you love, you'll never work another day in your life. Well, I'll just take myself because I, I always use myself an ex- as an example. I was in insurance, and I was in insurance for a long time. Can you imagine saying you're excited about insurance? It's an oxymoron. It doesn't even make sense. And yet, I was so excited every day about what I did because my job, I was a single mom. My job was to protect my family. Well, if I protected my family, why couldn't I protect yours? And so every day I would go out there thinking, wow, I'm going to get to protect somebody today. I'm going to protect another family. I was so excited that people would say to me, I'm not even sure what you're selling, but whatever it is, I need to be a part of it because you're so excited about it. That was my passion. So I would go into something that is it's not even tangible. It's not something that somebody can smell and touch and feel and, and say, oh, this is so pretty. It was an insurance policy. But I was so passionate about it. And so with that, I became very successful doing it because I loved what I was doing and I loved to see what the results were for other people. So to me, passion is something that when you can share that passion, when you can share that excitement, that's what people gravitate towards. So I had lots of very, very successful producers because they felt my passion. They knew they could trust my passion. Well, and and that's key. I mean, you just mentioned it with insurance sales, but as a leader, you're you're in a sales position. You're selling the vision. You're selling the Mm -hmm. strategy. Mm -hmm. And and everything you just said is it's beautiful because how uh, I heard a quote a year or two ago, and I've used it a lot, and and nobody knows where it came from, but it says. Uh, change is changing faster than change has ever changed before. Mm-hmm. And, and if you're not able to have that passion for what you're doing and voice uh, the, the change that needs to happen to stay relevant, you, you don't stand a chance. Right. And, and so passion, that's why I like that. So authenticity. Why is authenticity important for a leader? Well, Authenticity is be, it's the real you. It's the way you show up every day. Can you imagine like coming in and the person that you report to, your leader, was somebody different every single day, or they were one way in the morning and a different way in the afternoon, or you had you didn't you didn't even know who the real person was. For me, it's how you show up. It's it's how you let people know who you are, no matter what. And you know, again, it, it's. For me, it's more about the character that you have, the integrity that you have, and that people can see this, people can smell it, people can understand it. When you are somebody, when you're trying to pretend that you're somebody else, I mean, look at social media. Every single day you can read things from people that you know aren't true, and yet this is who they portray. And 
that that doesn't work for me. I if I find out that somebody has misrepresented themselves, I I'm done. I you know it just doesn't even make sense to me. I think that people need to show their true selves. And let me say that when you have like quirkiness about you, it's what makes you unique and people love to see what makes you unique. Like I think I'm hysterical. I do. I think I'm so funny. Not everybody thinks I'm funny, but I think I'm funny. That's me. And so if you find me funny, great. And if you don't, I'm going to tell you I'm funny cuz that's who I am. I'm very authentic. I'm the same person whether I'm on the radio or walking down the street or I'm speaking on stage or that's me. I, I I can't pretend to be somebody I'm not. It doesn't work for me. Yeah, and, and it doesn't, the truth is it doesn't work for anybody. Yeah. Uh, I mean, when we, we've talked about uh, mental health issues in the country, and, and I believe wholeheartedly, which you mentioned with social media and all that, now obviously there's a lot of factors to it, but one of our biggest drivers for mental health issues in this country is exactly what you just said, people trying to be, a persona instead of being mm-hmm. them because it's mm-hmm. stressful to keep that facade up all the time. It is. And then you don't even remember what did you tell people who you were? You know, you have to come back the next day and remember that. That doesn't, you know, that's craziness. Why can't you just be yourself? And because a lot of people don't like themselves. That's the truth of the matter. That and is, so, yes. Yep. So. Yes. But then that comes to the next quality. And I don't know if you put them in this order on purpose, but, but courage. It takes courage to be authentic, but. What else does courage mean to leadership? You're going to be asked to um, have difficult conversations. You're going to be asked to do things that take you way outside your comfort zone. And as a great leader, you have to be able to, to show that you're willing and able to do something that is not something you do every single day. Courage is not a one-time thing. Every single day, it's going to take courage for you to be a great leader. And it could be something little. You know, it, it doesn't. It doesn't have to be a monumental task, but it has to. You have to be able to say, "Okay, I've never done this before. Let's try it." And courage is also when you realize that something you've done did not work out well, and so you learn from it. But courage is, is real. It's a it's a powerful word, and a lot of people don't think that you have to you know you have to be courageous to be a leader. First of all, stepping up to be a leader takes courage. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not it's not something that everybody does every day. And some people think, well, you're a natural born leader, but it takes work. It ta- you know everything takes work. Work. Nothing nothing amazing is going to happen because it's just so easy to do. It doesn't work like that. So for me, a, a courageous leader is somebody that is willing to take a chance, somebody that's willing to step out of their comfort zone and willing to keep going and show their team and show themselves that they have the ability to do it. Yes, I I love that. And I love what you said there, because, you know, too many people believe that courage is an absence of fear. And and courage is the presence of fear, but continuing to operate in the face of it. Mm -hmm. And, And a lot of times that is doing the right thing. And going back to what we talked about before, uh, being, being a male leader championing and sponsoring women in an organization is the right thing to do. Uh, and, and courage comes into play there because even if it's not the you're worried about uh, catching a complaint, you may be worried about what people are going to say, the gossip. Oh, he's just showing her favoritism because she's cute or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you still have to have the courage to be able to do it because it's important uh, and it's not just women, uh, it, minorities as well. Uh, we, we have a lot of statistics out there that show us uh, the success of diverse organizations. 
but a lot of times fear drives continuing the the white male domination in business. Well, uh, yeah, and that's a that's a, a a huge topic. I mean, really, it's a huge topic. But one of the things that you're telling you're saying about diversity is. It's not just the culture. It's not just the gender. It's not just all that. It's also diversity of thought. Yes. If, if you don't have the courage to bring people that don't look like you or don't act like you or weren't brought up with the same way or didn't have the same education, you're going to have the same people. You're going to have the same yes people. Yes, 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 yes. And at a, as a great leader, you don't want yes people. You want people to say to you, you know, that's a. it, it sounds like it's a good idea, but have we thought of this? Right. Because you have to be able to have diversity of thought. Otherwise, you're going to have the same thing that everybody else has. Exactly. Exactly. And I love that. And uh, you're 100% right. I mean, even uh, you can have, yes, uh, you can have diversity in a lot of ways, but diversity of thought is is key. Uh, and, and I love that. That's uh, And it ties into the next one. Uh, we've done a great job of tying these in so far. Uh, <laughs> communication. If you're not communicating, uh, how do you know what the thought process is? And if you've got that diversity of thought, uh, but again, what does that mean to you? What is your angle on that one? Well, communication is also another big topic. And when I talk about communication, I talk about understanding what somebody is saying to you. Because plenty of times you say something and you believe somebody has heard you the same way, and yet they've heard something totally differently. And they might have taken you know, a negative tone to it. They might have taken a positive tone. Whatever it is, they're not hearing what you're saying. And you know, men and women think differently, communicate differently, ask questions differently, listen differently. They do everything differently. And so as a leader, you have to know how all of your people communicate. You know, when you think about some of the the things that are thrown out at millennials, one thing you always hear about is they are very technologically savvy and they're always looking down at their phones. The truth of the matter is that's how they communicate and they communicate through texting. Now, for me, if I get a text from somebody that I don't know and they didn't identify themselves, I, I, don't, I don't respond to it because that's, it's a person that if you were important enough to send me a text, then I should know you. You should be in my phone or you should say, hi, this is Lynn. Okay. Right. Okay. The other part of that is you can't tell a tone through an email or a text. So when you think about the boomers, a lot of the boomers want to either pick up the phone or they want to... Um, they want to have a face-to-face meeting with you because that's how they communicate. So a great leader has to know how everybody communicates. And then also when you're sharing a message, you know, it, does everybody hear the same way? Does everybody see the same way? Does everybody, how do people learn? So that's part of the whole communication issue is learning how others communicate so that the message that you hear is the one that you actually were trying to send. Yeah, uh, and I love that. And there's two things that popped in my mind. The first one, you talk about millennials and this, they're always looking down at their phones. There was a great, uh, great meme floating around the internet. Uh, it was just a couple years ago. Uh, but it showed millennials walking around. Uh, they were sitting on a uh, subway uh, looking down at their phones. And then it showed uh, it was the, the greatest generation, and it was you know like 1946 or whatever. And it was a similar picture, but everybody's sitting uh, looking down at their newspapers. Mm-hmm. You know, the thing was, is everybody was always been looking down. It's just in Different. one era, it was paper. Mm-hmm. Now it's mm-hmm. electronic. Um, and the other thing you said about continuing uh, to say it and saying it in the right way. Uh, William Urey, uh, he had a great uh, line uh, that I use a lot. He says. Uh, 
Just when you think people are getting tired of hearing it, they're probably just starting to listen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I thought that one, that was good. Now, so we've talked about passion. We've talked about authenticity. We've talked about courage, uh, communication, and none of that is good unless you can be decisive, right? So what does decisiveness mean? Decisiveness is making a decision. And a lot of times people say, I just can't make any more decisions. Well, that's a decision. Not making a decision is a decision. And you have to decide, you have to, as a leader, you have to make tough decisions and you have to make decisions that can affect a lot of people. And sometimes that's not easy. And so you'd rather say, you know what, I, I, I can't, I can't make this decision. But then nobody gets to do anything because you haven't made a decision. So a great leader, it doesn't mean that you have to be a control person, that you have to make everything everything go your way. It just means that you're making a decision to do something. And all of your decisions are not going to be things that people want to hear, but it doesn't matter because what happens is you might be creating an opportunity for somebody by making a decision. So you have to also think that there's great decisions, there's decisions that turn into things that are not so great, but guess what? You will be able to learn from it either way. And procrastination is also a decision. You know, people wait until the deadline is right on top of them because that's the way they work best. That's a decision that they've made. So everything we do is a decision. When you get up in the morning, do you get right up or do you hit snooze? That's a decision. So Lots of decisions that we make every single day. Some are more important than others, but you have to learn to make good decisions. You have to learn to be prepared to make decisions, and you have to learn to uh, take care of the tough decisions. And, and what I love about this one, again, this is one that lines right up with the, the traits that the Marines uh, taught us. And, and uh, the one thing that they pounded in our head was, you know, this is about uh, confidence and leadership on display because mm-hmm. – you know, and this is the picture they paint. It's like, think about it. Who do you want to follow? The leader that can take the appropriate amount of time to make the right decision. The leader who can make a decision, but they're flying off the handle without all the information they want. And they're getting people in worse trouble. Or do you want to follow the leader that can't make a decision, suffers from the uh, analysis paralysis, and then everybody still gets in trouble because nothing was done. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the answer is we want to follow the leader is going to take the appropriate amount of time to make the right decision for the best outcomes. And that's what decisiveness is. It's not about just a knee jerk reaction. Right. It's about making good, timely decisions. Mm-hmm. Yep, and, absolutely. Yeah. So, again, I was happy as could be when I saw that one pop in. Because, <laughs> uh, uh, and then resilience. How does resilience fit in? Uh, so resilience is, okay, so you made a really crummy decision and it affected a lot of people. Now what? How are you going to react to that? Because resilience is being able to get up. It's, it's you know, something bad might have happened. How do you get up? How do you show your team that you're still in it? Because resilient people are ones that have the courage to make the decisions and then get up. And, um, I mean, we've all had things that have happened to us that we just – didn't want to get up again. We just thought, okay, I'm done. I I can't do this anymore. But again, people are watching what you're doing. So you have to be able to make sure that you give yourself permission to wallow in it for a moment 
and you know, I mean, I give myself usually 30 minutes to an hour and then I get up and I go, okay, what did I learn from this? And how do I show others that if you do it this way, this is exactly what's going to happen. So maybe you can save somebody from making the same mistakes that you did, but you just have to be able to understand that it's okay to fail because failure is an event. It's not a person. So learn to fail and fail fast and be done with it and then move on. I, I love that. And, you know, all about leadership on display. So maybe I'm going to put you on the spot here, but I'm, I'm going to guess you've been asked this question a few times before. What is your biggest failure and how did you get past it? Uh, so my biggest failure is um, I trust everybody. And so when people tell me the things that I need to hear, I trust them. And I had somebody that told me exactly what I needed to hear when I started my company. And I just listened to everything that he had to say. And P.S., tens of thousands of dollars later, um, I, was, I almost closed my business because I thought, I, I just don't have, I, I'm, I'm not a good leader. I don't have what, what it takes. I just believe what people tell me, blah, blah, blah. And so I did, I gave myself permission to just wallow in it. And it took me longer than an hour because I really thought I was done. And I thought it was all about me, that I was the failure and I, I couldn't make good decisions. And I, you know, it, it was horrible. It was horrible. And um, the colonel and I were just, we were getting ready to get married. And he said, you have to learn to compartmentalize. You have to put things into a box and you have to move them away. Like you need to decide what you want to do with this, but push it over there for the time being because you're really upset about it. And no matter what you do right this moment is going to be something that's impulsive. And so I, I did. I pushed it away. We did get married. And then I took everything that had happened. I figured out what I did wrong. I remember that failure is the event, it's not me, and that this other person really was the loser. And everything that had to do with everything that he was doing with me, I donated to um, a women's group. So it, it, it was eliminated from my site, it was eliminated from everything, and somebody else benefited from it. So that was my, that was a big failure. Well, and, and it's beautiful because that segues into the seventh quality, generosity. So you kind of gave us a little bit of a, a preview there, but, but how does generosity impact leadership? So, you know, when you ask people about generosity, a lot of times they think, you know, it's donating money and it's giving this and paying for the person behind you, you know, paying for their coffee and paying it forward and things like that. And when I think about generosity, I think as a leader, the thing that you can be the most generous with is your time because it's your most valuable asset. It's something when you give it away, you can never get it back. And I personally believe that as a leader, the best way to be generous is to be a mentor. And, you know, there's a statistic out there that 65% of all women that have been mentored become mentors. Mm -hmm. And it's a great cycle that you'd want to continue. Well, remember what we started this conversation was about that there's not always a lot of women that are available to be a mentor. And so become a mentor. That's what happened. When I started becoming somewhat successful in insurance, I became the mentor. And so I would start to mentor other people and be help them become mentors. So for a leader, I really do believe that generosity is huge. All you're doing is you're deciding, you're making a choice, you're being decisive about it, and you're being courageous about it that you're going to give up your, some of your time. Because you're, if you're too busy for anybody, then you're not a good leader anyway. 
So right. you need to you, you need to just say, okay, I may not have hours to give you, but I do have time, and I will make sure that the time is used well, and I believe that's generosity. And, and, and again, I love that, and and it's this is the thing about being a champion and a sponsor. Uh, again, not just of women, but but other men, uh, minorities. Uh, you don't have to have positional power to do that. Mm-hmm. Influence. Influence is what you need. Uh, if you have influence in an organization, meaning you have the ear of someone uh, above and can create those opportunities, use that. That's There's a double benefit to it. I'm not saying you should do it for this reason. But the more that increases your perceived value when you're promoting women, hey, they're good for this opportunity, and they go in there and you help them and mentor them through it and they crush it, that increases your value to the organization as well as hers. Uh, so, yes, it's generosity, but it's it's a cycle of, of building each other up. And as the Japanese say, you know, kaizen, continual improvement, it, it's, it's risky, uh, but it's it's so worth it, right? In the in the long run, it is it is a venture that is so worth it, right? Absolutely. And you know, I never had a female mentor throughout my entire career. I've always had men that were mentors. And when you have some of these men that are you know very successful and very um, intelligent, and they say to you, you know, let me help you, let me show you, let me teach you. Um, it, it is, it's a great experience. When I finally did get a female mentor, it was a whole different experience. And so, um, one of my guests on my show actually said to me, you should always have a male and a female mentor because it's two different perspectives, not right or wrong, not, you know, it's just different. And I, I do agree with that because you're getting, again, diversity of thought. A hundred percent. And so when, um, an organization I worked for in, in the uh, federal civilian service, they were spinning up a mentoring program and, and, uh, there's great advice because I made it a point to seek out uh, a senior level female leader to be my mentor. Uh, and, and the mo- main reason for me was, uh, I had two women reach out to me to be a mentor. I'm like, I don't fully understand all of the issues that women face in the workplace. I need to get better at that perspective. And, and so, yes, uh, I like your your give and take uh, uh, kind of point of view there. I love that. Um, so since we're on the kind of the topic of women in leadership, this is a question that I've always wondered from a uh, uh, from a kind of a private sector perspective. Um, what would you say? is the number one issue facing women leaders right now? Hmm. So part of it is not being in, not having the opportunity to be in the leadership position that they should be in. I think that's a major challenge because there are not, um, there's not always a, a position that's open and that you can, slide the woman in because she's the qualified person. So I think there's not enough opportunities for women. But I also think that some of the things that women do to themselves is they don't they don't take or they don't go after a position unless they're 100% qualified. 
Mm. And so we are kind of shooting ourselves in the foot. There are many studies that will say if a woman's not 100% qualified, she won't show up. She won't, um, you know, apply. She won't ask. But if a man is 60% qualified, they will. Mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, a lot of times we need to coach women into how to either negotiate or how to ask for a position because we do do ourselves a disservice many times. So, you know, again, my tagline is a woman want to be treated equally, not identically. So if we are, if we have an opportunity to have the same um, position offered to us, that's offered to all the men, I think that some of the problems that we have would diminish. But when we're not offered it, then we start to build things up in our head that maybe we're not smart enough or maybe we're not good enough or maybe we're not this enough. And sometimes that will hold us back. Uh, and and uh, I'll just say amen to everything you just said because I've ran into that so many times uh, working with, with women. And, and I keep hearing the, you know, I'm not qualified. I'm not qualified. And, and my question is always, can you do the job? Oh, yeah, I can do the job. Then you're qualified. <laughs> you go ahead and apply for it. Um, and, and yes. Um, so... You said something there at the very end uh, that was was great about the the statistics, and um, uh, you said it was sixty uh, percent qualified, right? And that is uh, that a man would apply on a job if he's only sixty percent qualified, and that that just rings so true to me in my experiences. And so, uh, if you have that article, I'd like you to to shoot me the link because I want to link it to this so people can read it because. Um, okay. I, I really want that to get out there because uh, I, I wish I could figure out better when I'm working with women on how to encourage them to uh, take these chances that when I'm working with a male, they're going for everything. I mean, it's, it's the confidence thing is huge. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of reasons, though. You have to remember that a lot of times, you know, women don't want to waste people's time. They don't want to waste their time. They already know that it's going to be a no because they're missing this one little piece. Um, so that's, that. you know, a lot of them are the tapes that happen from when you grow up, things that had been said to you, you know, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, that all of a sudden they come up at the most inopportune time. And, you know, so we don't want to ruin things for people. We don't want to make people uncomfortable. We don't want the relationships that we have at work to change just because we're asking for something and then we don't get it. Or, you know, a lot of times, I remember for me, I was promoted to a position. No one asked me if I wanted it. They just promoted me. And you had, you had a couple of options. You could take it. You could not take it. And you'd never be asked again. Or you could take it and you could fail. Those are your choices because there was no support there. And so you have to decide, you know, is that worth it? There's the other thing, though, when you look at some of the um, qualifications that people put on a job description, sometimes it'll have the word preferred, not required. Mm -hmm. So for instance, if it said, you know, master's degree preferred, and if I don't have a master's degree, I'm not even going to do this because that's another, you know, strike against me. It didn't say required. It said preferred. And so I read this as, yeah, that's what they really want. Right? right. And so there's another thing that will just, yeah, I'm not going to do it because it's not worth it to me. I, and I know they're going to say no. And because I, you know, I don't have a master's and I don't have that, they're just going to say no. And so we don't give ourselves enough credit, whereas we might have so many other accolades behind us that 
would outshine the master's degree and all the experience, you know, but we don't think about that. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And you hit on uh, something there. Uh, my partner, uh, he is a EEO specialist. So inevitably when we're, uh, when we're talking with organizations, whether it's consulting or just speaking, uh, equal employment mm-hmm. comes up. And a lot of people push back with, well, I don't want to have to hire somebody just because, insert X. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the thing we have to drill through their heads is like the laws and the hiring practices that are out there aren't designed to hire somebody just because they're a woman or hire somebody just because they're an African-American. They're designed to not not hire them <laughs> because they're a woman or an African-American. Uh, and, and that's a key. It's a big difference, you know, kind of what you said. Nobody that I've ran into to this date wants to be hired just because they're X. They want to be hired because they're qualified to do the job. Right. And that's why I'm saying I was I was promoted because I was female. I checked that box. And I know for a fact at one point they were hoping I was going to fail so they could say we tried it. It didn't work. Mm. Yes. Okay, and, and so, you, you know, and so, of course, with my personality, I made sure that didn't happen. But the truth of the matter is you just don't know what's what's in front of you. Do, are you checking that box? And it's a really uncomfortable feeling. You know, it doesn't matter who you are. What if the company was all female and you applied for the job and we said, oh, there's a guy. We're just going to check him off. It's mm-hmm. the same feeling, you know. So um, there's there's lots of different challenges that are out in the workplace today there are there's lots of challenges you have to decide what it is you that you're that you really want to do so there's your passion and what are you willing to jump out of your comfort zone for and how are you going to do this and if it doesn't work what are you going to learn from it and how are you going to you know support others going forward so those are all the the qualities you know wrapped up with a little bow on the top but the truth is you have to make those decisions no one's going to make the decision for you because when they do it's for the wrong reason. I love it. Well, uh, Judy, again, thanks for joining us. I want to work towards kind of wrapping this up here. Uh, but I, I would be remiss to let you go without talking about your book, Walking on the Glass Floor. I, I know a lot of our listeners have heard the term glass ceiling. Mm-hmm. So walking on the glass floor kind of puts a little bit of a different spin on, on something they're already familiar with. So what is, what is walking on the glass floor in a nutshell? It's the flip side of the glass ceiling. A lot of women want to crash through that glass ceiling. And then what? What do they do when they crash through? We want them to come on the glass floor. Okay? So maybe you've reached the pinnacle of your career or maybe you're trying to get there. We want you to get on the floor and stay there. Because what happens is, you know, for me, I would always say recruiting is easy. Retention is harder. Mm. So what happens when you get into that leadership position? What can we do to support you? That's the glass floor. So we want we want people to be on the glass floor. We want you know millions of women to actually be able to get there and stay there instead of tiptoeing in and you know crashing out. I, I love it. I love it. When I saw the title and, and kind of saw that, I was like, yeah, this is this is brilliant because like you said, retention retention is huge. It doesn't matter how many people you bring in if you're losing people faster than you can bring them back in. Uh, so again, I love that. I'll have a link to your book in the show notes here so people can get that and, uh, we'll see how many bookshelves we can get it on for you. Uh, thank you for your time. This has been a great discussion and, uh, I feel like we've really just scratched the surface and some of the discussions we could have. So, uh, if you're open, I'd, I'd love to have you back on at some point in the future. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. It's my favorite topic. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it comes through as uh, I think it was Einstein said, if you, uh, if you, if you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it well enough. And, and yep. uh, I think you've done a great job of explaining Thank some you. of the issues and uh, you definitely understand it. And uh, yes, thanks for joining us. And uh, we'll definitely work on getting you back on. Sounds good. Thank you so much for having me. I love the opportunity and you're doing great things. All right. Well, thank you very much. And uh, to the listeners, like I said, we're going to get all the links to uh, to Judy's social media accounts. Follow her. She does some great Facebook live sessions, uh, the work she does on the Women for Women Network. And uh, you'll be able to find all that stuff there. Uh, so with that, thank you for tuning in and look forward to talking with you again in the next episode. All right. Thanks for tuning in. If you have any comments or questions for me or my guest, or you would like to suggest a future guest, send them to me at burden.command at gmail.com. Be sure to rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice. I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Welcome, explorers of the human experience. This is Let's Talk Soul, and I'm your host, Claudia Monticelli. We're not afraid of the great mysteries of existence here. Soul versus consciousness, we're on it. Spirituality versus science, we've got that covered too. Join us in navigating these profound topics with wisdom, curiosity, and a dash of audacity. Whether you're a spiritual veteran or just starting your journey, Let's Talk Soul is your passport to the unknown. Let's Talk Soul, diving into the depths of the human spirit. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for season two of the Wanna Bet podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that season two starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. So no more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.